Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Four Corners. My name's Ben. This is Melissa. She's our development pastor for adults. And in a moment, we're going to tell you about some really cool stuff. But I just wanted to say to all of you who've been here more than once, that was a brand new video. And I'm really, really excited about it. You want to just give it up for the work that was done on that? Thank you, Bryce and the others in the back. Really appreciate what you've done. Melissa, we have some exciting things coming out. By the way, love the new do. Thanks. It looks great it on was, you. It was time. You just cut it all cut off. Cut it all off. Yeah, yeah. it looks great. Um, look tell everybody off. about some exciting things coming up because we don't want people to not take advantage of opportunities we have for people to connect with each other and to grow in their relationship with Jesus. So what's coming up? Well, tonight we have um, step three of our grow experiences. I'm excited about that. Tonight's all about spiritual habits, uh, making a commitment to them. Uh, we're going to give you some practical tools on how to learn how to read your Bible, how to be productive in your quiet time, how to pray uh, over people and for people. Um, so I'm really, I'm really excited about that. You know, when you mentioned spiritual habits, I will tell you internally, and I've been doing this a long time, I don't go, yay, yeah. spiritual habits and disciplines. I haven't so either. Why, why should a person? come then if they feel like maybe that's not the most exciting topic. Well, here's a personal recommendation from me. So a few, a few weeks ago, months ago, actually, um, we've really been pressing into our quiet times as a staff and our prayer time as a staff. So we take 30 to 30 minutes to an hour every, um, every weekday and we turn on some music and we try to keep our conversations to a minimum and we spend time in our Bible. We spend time praying. We've read through a couple great books on how to do that and it has changed my life. So, and I've been working in churches for gosh, 13 years, I guess. And this has radically changed the way I see God and the way that God communicates to me. So, so are you saying that it's possible then to be around church, be around church stuff and still have for a long time and still have a lot of room to grow? Yes. And if sure. a person were to press in individually, mm-hmm. maybe they could see some growth up to this point they haven't seen. Right. So we'd like to share with you the ways that we've done it and the ways that the Bible talks about it. And then hopefully um, get you involved in uh, those spiritual habits as well. So this is called Grow 3. There might be some folks here who still don't know quite what GROW is. Take a moment and explain to us what GROW, all of that is. So GROW is a spiritual um, growth tool that we're using. It's four experiences. Um, It uh, starts with step one, which is becoming a member. Uh, Pastor Ben speaks for a while and talks about um, what we believe, why we believe it, doctrine, um, where we stand on a lot of, um, of, uh, gosh, baptism and Lord's Supper and and why we do the things we do. It's fantastic if you haven't done it yet. Um, Even if you've been here all 13 years, there's some common language that we're using that I think will be really helpful to you to know where we're going forward. Um, Step two was really fun. That was last week. Um, We're doing how to figure out what your shape is. So it's spiritual spiritual gifts, um, where your heart is, your abilities, your personality, and your experiences. How has God created you to do ministry? And so that was really fun. That was last week. This week is spiritual habits. Um, It's more practical, but it's still really interactive, and I think you'll enjoy it. And then next um, next time, which is in November, step four, um, November 12th, is uh, making a difference and really we're setting you up uh, to be able to craft your testimony, be able to share your testimony and then we're sending you out to ministry areas here in the church where you can have an orientation, you can figure out using your shape and what you've learned through GROW, how can you best use your gifts and your talents um, to serve the kingdom here at Four Corners. That's, That's really exciting. We're doing this again to help people connect with one another and to grow but there are a couple of other just events coming up, right? Uh, uh, there's one for men, women. Right. Tell us about that real quick. Okay, so we, we're gonna, we just started our groups. We launched our groups, and we had a great turnout for groups. We're excited about it. But our goal is honestly that every one of you uh, get into a group. And we know that sometimes there's some barriers there. I don't know anyone. I don't know what a group's going to be like. And so we're going to do some intentional fun events um, coming up over the next three months for both all men Uh, women and married couples or just couples. Um, So we have a men's one's coming up. It's going to be great. It's October 28th. It's called The Bondfire, which is funny because... Oh, there you go. There you, all right. Um, and I thought that uh, I thought that it was spelled wrong at first. I thought, no, it's a bonfire, but really, it's bonfire on purpose. So that's funny. Um, but they're gonna um, they're gonna ride mini bikes around the yard and and shoot Red Rider BB guns at targets and watch movies and and uh, eat a lot and have a fire. So, so it's a it's connecting a event. Time. It's a connecting event. Get to know some guys. Know that we're not all you know strange people. So, yeah. so men, um, I know that that you know if you're extroverted, you're like yes. And if you're not, or you're just tired, or you're overwhelmed, you're like, but I, I need you to think about making some time to come and connect with some other men. Uh, ladies, let me just encourage you here. You, you wield incredible power in your man's life. 
incredible power. I'd love for you to make it a priority for them to be here because here's what happens. When men have godly friends, their lives go more in a God-oriented direction. And so that's part of what we're doing here is helping men create godly friendships, have some fun together. And as my slogan is, where there's no fun, there's no one. And so we're going to have some fun together. We're going to do some God stuff together. But this is a connecting event. Right. And then real quickly, the ladies and the marriage. The ladies, the ladies are happening in November, the weekend of the 10th and the 11th. We are hoping to have 20 to 25 if tables. An if table is a place where um, you have a dinner party. Um, it's a what if women could get together and talk about the things of God together. So it's uh, six women. It's four questions. And it's two hours. Um, it's going to be fantastic. That's happening So everybody that comes together, breaks into these tables. It's it's for all women. over the area for women. You show up at Can a dinner party. Can I just party. tell you that sounds horrible It to does me. to you, but it's not for you. You can't come. Good. It's all about yes. for the women. Thank God. It's all the women. We're going to have I dinner go parties, ladies. Bikes. This is great. So, so yeah, yeah, if they want to host one, they can let me know. That would be great. And then there's marriage, uh, marriage. Right. And so for marriage, we're going to come together on December 1st. We're going to have a good time. We're going to hang out for about an, um, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. And then we're going to give you and your uh, spouse or your significant other a date packet. Um, it's going to have instructions for a date night uh, that are going to, I think, be a blast and help you to really rekindle your relationship. So we're going to send you out on a date night on and December 1st. And that's not therapy. Again, it's no, more it's fun. fun. It's, it's more fun. fun. Yeah. Yeah. So these are the ways we're trying to help you connect. These are tools we're providing. Because remember, the number one person responsible for your spiritual growth is you. The number one person responsible for the health in your family is you. The best we'll ever be able to do is give you tools and opportunities, and this is what we're trying to do. Now, we decided to open up 10 more spots oh, right. for Grow. For tonight. Because this is an RSVP event because we're providing food. We need to know the count. Right. But you have 10 open spots, I correct? I do. I booked 10 because I thought there were 10 more people that would absolutely like to come. So if somebody to hasn't gone to anything else, they could still come to step three. We pro we pro we pro we hope that you'll go to step one first and become a member and then go through. Um, if you would like to come to step three tonight, we'll make an exception because it's that good. But we'd like for people to start with one and work Good. So if you've it. been to one, been to two, right. and you haven't signed up for three, they could literally go to the information station, uh -huh. put their name on a piece of paper, and they're in for tonight. Yes. And it starts at? It starts at 4 o'clock. Hey, thanks for what you and your team are doing. Can I say one more thing? Please do. We have seven baptisms today. Woo! That's incredible. Yeah. So we have two first service, and uh, we have uh, five second service, and second service includes a mom and her two teenage kids. Wow. Um, so we're super excited, and so that's a great day, right? Um, and so we want to hear you when they come out of the water. We want you to celebrate with them and let them come out and just hear you yelling for them. But also, today is Pastor Appreciation Day. <gasps> gotcha! There you go. Come on. So churches all over the country are celebrating their pastors today, and we have the best one of all, and so we just wanted to let you know how much we love you, and we appreciate you and everything that you and your family do, and I'm not going to cry. Thank you so, so much. So everybody say thank you to Pastor Ben. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's my privilege to be your pastor. Please, please go ahead and be seated. Uh, <laughs> Hey, I'm going to jump right into the message today. I am so enjoying this Family Matters message series we're doing and the feedback that you're providing via your Connect card into the conversations you're having are just encouraging to me and the team. Um, it's, it's next level kinds of feedback and there's a level of honesty and transparency in some of your comments that is just so meaningful to me. When we started this church 13 years ago, our hope was that people could be real and that we'd create a place that would challenge people no matter where they are in their spiritual journey to grow. And our mission really is to help families in North Cincinnati to become fully developing followers of Jesus. And when I see that level of honesty and transparency uh, that I haven't seen a whole lot of, like we've seen pockets here and there, but this is like next level. When I see that, I know that that's the front end of spiritual growth. And I'm just so excited about that. And uh, thank you for being responsive. Today, I wanna chat with you about something that I don't think gets a whole lot of press in church. And um, I'm going to share this with all of us today, knowing that for some of you, this is target. Like this is a rifle. This is right for where you are, or somebody very close to you is right here. And you're going to listen with rapt attention because this is where your life is, or this is where somebody you care deeply about is like living right now. All right. And for others of you, this is not an immediately applicable subject. Although for all of us as a church family, it's very important to keep in mind. I want to talk to people who are dating and single as the primary audience today. 
But I want to talk to parents whose kids will be dating and single. I want to talk to people who are in small groups that interact with people who are connected to people who are dating and single. Because this topic in our world gets a lot of press. There's a lot of advertising marketed at people like this. There's a lot of opportunity. And this is that very stage in life where a lot of people get off track and they spend 10, 20, or 30 years trying to get back on track. So I want to go at it directly today and knowing that for some of you, again, this is a rifle and I'm like right speaking into your life. And for others, this is much more of a just general content for you. But I'd like no matter where you are on that spectrum to go ahead and Tune in all the way, and let's talk about what does it mean to get ready for marriage. And I, and I want to give a disclaimer here for the single folks in the room or those that are listening online. Maybe you'll share this with your friends. Um, I'm not talking about necessarily just getting ready for marriage as we talk about it. And marriage as we initially understand it. I want to take you to a very spiritual concept of a marriage that all of us are participating in. And one day, we'll actually go to that event and the Bible describes a time at the end of time on earth as we know it as a marriage where God is formally going to connect in a very tangible way with his bride. There's Jesus and the church he's creating here on earth. And there's going to come a day when life as we know it is over and the church or the bride of Christ is going to be connected to Christ in eternity forever. And that's the marriage that God is getting every one of us ready for. He really is. And it doesn't matter whether you're single or married here today, whether you're not even thinking about marriage, whether you're done with marriage because of a divorce or whatever. It doesn't matter. God is getting you ready if you're a follower of Jesus for that ultimate marriage. That's the image he has in mind. That's the picture he uses. That's the metaphor. He's getting us all ready for a marriage that's gonna be beautiful and wonderful. And all the things on this earth that are a shadow of that, that kind of anticipate that, they're gonna find their completion on that day. And on that day, the Bible says, there's gonna be no more pain. There's gonna be no more separation. All the relational dysfunction stuff, all that's gonna be over. It's all gone. No more hurt. No more pain. The picture we're given is there's not even going to be another tear shed. You know, so like unhappy tears. There might be tears of joy, I suppose. I don't know if that's how you express your, you know, your excitement. Um, there'll be some of that, but there won't be any more sadness. And that's the marriage God's getting ready for. And much of what I'm going to say today anticipates that day, whether you're physically married here on earth or you're single, all right? Now, to jump into that, why don't you take your message notes? They look like this. I want to take a few minutes as you're getting that together and give us just a little bit of background information. I want to talk with you before we jump into these 10 ideas here of correcting myths about singleness and dating. I want to talk to you about two big myths about singleness and dating that are so prevalent in the world, but also in the church, I think. Uh, first one is what I call the marriage equals completion myth. I right, know this is not on your notes, all right? I didn't have room to get all this in your notes, all right? But the marriage is completion myth. This is the idea that somehow you're incomplete if you're not married. And you'll hear people sometimes even in the church say things like, don't worry, honey, you'll get married someday. And uh, God just has a little bit more work to do on you uh, to help you find just that right person. You, if you'll become a special person, God will help you find a special person. And it might make a single person feel like perhaps there's something incomplete in them or not special about them. And if they'll finally get it all together, God will get them ready for marriage. You know, you have to become someone special for God to give you someone special. But the truth is, is that God did not give marriage as a reward for becoming special. God didn't give marriage to people who were ready for marriage. If that were the case, then I would suggest to you that a lot of people who have been married who are married. A lot of folks, even in this church, who are married. If I can just be blunt for a moment, there's nothing special about you and you were not ready for marriage. You just got married and that's okay if that's where you find yourself. But to imply that somehow when we get our lives together as a follower of Jesus, it's at that point that God's gonna get us ready for marriage and open us up and bring us a relationship. That really, to me, feels very condescending and it's, in fact, not even biblical and there's an assumption here that somehow marriage is the ideal state and that singleness is an inferior or an incomplete state. In just a few moments, we're going to look at some scriptures where Jesus is going to make it perfectly clear that marriage is not the preferred state and singleness is not the preferred state. There's something bigger than both of them. 
And in fact, if you take Jesus' words at face value, it might even sound like he's not very, very fond of marriage at all, really. And Jesus himself was single. And the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament when he was writing it was single. That'd be the Apostle Paul. And so singleness in the history of the church has been a very, very special and honored thing. But in the modern church, even in our church, sometimes people have said to me, Pastor, to be totally transparent, you know, like, your church is for families, and I don't really know that I'm a part of that. And I'm like, well, we are for families, but you, you're a part of our family, and you have a family, and one day you might want a family, and if you don't want a family, we want you a part of our family. And, but I think it's important from time to time for churches like ours that is so family-focused and marriage-focused, and you know we spend a lot of energy on kids, and for a church like ours to every once in a while just hit the pause button and say, let's remember that marriage and singleness is not the greatest definer of who we are. That's not how God sees us. That's not the first lens through which he views us. That's the first myth, that somehow marriage completes me. And I, I always go back to that movie with Jerry Maguire, and, uh, called Jerry Maguire, with, with Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger. You, you, know, you remember this movie? And he says to her at a moment of desperation, you complete me. And then she says back to him, but you're a Scientologist and a little weird, stay away from me. <laughs> right? You know the movie I'm talking about? You complete me. And everybody's like, oh, this is so wonderful. But that was never the way God meant for us to view marriage. Now, marriage can complement. Marriage can be a blessing. But marriage is a calling on a person's life. It's not just the state we step into to be complete. Myth number two, before we jump into the notes. Well, I'm going to call it the right person myth. Now, I talked about this a little bit last week. The idea here is that if you find the right person, your life's going to be perfect. And if your life's not perfect, it's probably because you don't have the right person in it. And if you could just find the right person, knowing that the one you have isn't it, then you're going to be okay. The idea here a little bit further perhaps is, is I'm incomplete until you love me and I'm everything because you love me. But again, I take you back to the person of Jesus who was single and complete. This is a myth. And they show up sometimes in the church. I want us to look at a handful of scriptures today. We're going to park primarily in Mark's gospel. So if you want to go there and hold your thumb. Now, you can try to keep up with me on scripture today. It might be a little hard. So we're going to put them on the side screens. And most of them are in your notes today. But if you wanted to go to Matthew on your phone or in your little leather-bound Bible, you can go there as well. And we talk about correcting some myths about singleness and dating and it might be so that even if you're married today, you might be able to pull a few truths out from the principles we're going to discuss that will be very applicable to your life, all right? So let's start in Mark chapter 3. This is one of those places in the Bible that often happens where Jesus is just going about doing his ministry, and there are some people that are losing influence as Jesus is gaining influence. He's very popular, and people who want to be popular aren't when he's around. And so there is this implicit conflict between Jesus and people in often religious authority in the New Testament. And then Jesus is commenting on things that people don't normally comment about, and he's talking to people in ways people don't normally talk to them. And he's speaking with authority and power, even though they don't have any official title. And it's really upsetting some folks. And so what they do is they decide to get together and try to trip him up and make him say some unpopular things so that his popularity and his influence would drop and they could maybe pick it, pick it back up. And this is exactly what's going on in Mark chapter 3. They're going to try to trip Jesus up on the issue of marriage and family because those things are deeply connected to our hearts and our life experience. So Mark chapter 3, there at the top of your message notes. All right, here we go. Mark chapter 3. And his mother, this is Jesus' mother, and his brothers came, and standing outside, they called to him. And a crowd was sitting around, and then the crowd said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here, these people that are sitting here listening to me talk, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. 
Now, this is one of about four places in the New Testament where Jesus says some things that when I first read it, and even now, 30 years into my walk with Jesus, you know, 30 plus years in, I look, I look at this language and I go, huh? Like, what, what's, what's he doing? Hey, Jesus, Mary and your brothers, you know, James, who's going to write a book in the New Testament, is going to be a major leader in the Lord's church one day. But Mary and James and the others, they're out there and they're waiting. Where are, well, They want you. And he said, wait, 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 wait. You wonder who my brother and my mother and my sisters are? There are these people listening to me right here. I know a guy who, uh, whose great ancestor is uh, Daniel Boone. Daniel Boone. And if you mention Kentucky, Tennessee, 1700s, America, the weather, he'll start telling you about his heritage, how he's connected to Daniel Boone. Hey, did I tell you, Daniel Boone's like my great, 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 great uncle, right? And he's so proud of that heritage. You can imagine for just a moment, if like you had Jesus in your bloodline somehow. Now, Dan Brown made a lot of money off of a book that implied that people had Jesus in their bloodline, right? Uh, That would be the Da Vinci Code and all that stuff. But just, just metaphorically, go with me. Imagine if you had Jesus in your bloodline. Wouldn't it be like really cool to say, you know, I got like that DNA in me. That'd be really cool. But here Jesus is saying, look, even if you have DNA with me, even if like we're closely connected, that's not near as important to me as the people who are sitting around here listening to me talk right now. In one, one of the gospels telling of this story, Jesus actually uses the phrase, those who do the will of my father, they are my brothers, my sister, my mother. Those, that's my family, those who obey God. Like it's one thing to have DNA, That can bring you a certain amount of pedigree and enjoyment. But what's really important to Jesus is the family of God that is created. When people identify with him in baptism, they give their lives to him, and they follow him, and they do his will. They obey him. That's who God says is the family. And by the way, that is the family on earth that God is trying to create here through the thing called the church. And we're one expression of that. This family that comes together with imperfect people, with brokenness, with all kinds of agenda and hurts that are unresolved. And God's trying to bring all those people together and create something beautiful on this earth through that family. And the thing that holds us to, uh, together is our identity in Christ and the fact that we listen and obey and follow the will and the word of God. These are my brothers and sisters. So step number one. Or correcting myth number one. Let, let me give you the point here. We have a greater family. We have a greater family than even our biological one. We have a greater family than even our biological one. I'm going to say something that will sound counter to what this church really often does, but it's not if you'll just pause for just a moment. The nuclear family is not the center of God's kingdom. Now, family's a big deal in the Bible. There's a lot of stuff about it, and churches are right to focus on getting families healthy here and now. But the nuclear family is not the center of God's kingdom. The family that God is bringing together are those people who have identified with Christ. That's what baptism represents. And they're following the will and the word of God. This is the more important family. Now, because of the way church is done in our society, sometimes it's not as visible in churches today as maybe it was in times past when people were a little less given to you know, movement and, 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 and physically changing locations all the time and changing careers and the demands of modern life. But in times past, not all that long ago, church family often became tighter than actual blood I grew up in a church that in some ways was very unhealthy and in some ways was a beautiful picture of what it meant to be a part of the family of God. And we would call each other brother and sister to just keep that on the front and center. You're my brother, you're my sister, and I treat you like family. When there are problems in the New Testament and Paul's giving it to the leaders saying, you gotta deal with these problems. He says, look, but when you deal with it, don't treat people like enemies. Treat them as an erring brother or sister and gently bring them back, right? It's family. Treat them like a brother or a sister. Tell them the truth, do it in love and bring them back together because this family that God is creating on earth 
that everybody gets to be a part of no matter what their DNA is, no matter their marriage status. Everybody gets to be a full participating member of the family. Even when you're young, Paul says to Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but go ahead and set an example for the believer in life and speech. Go ahead and do it. So it doesn't matter what your pedigree is, when it comes to God's family, you get to be a part of it. And there are no more in and less in people. The thing that unites us is our identity in Christ and those who press in to follow the will and the word of God. Look at Luke 11. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out and said, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Now, let me just pause here for a second. Um, I grew up in a church where you talk back to the pastor. It's not unusual in the church I grew up in. And on occasion around here, somebody will say, preach it. Amen. Go, pastor. And so in times past, and less so here, when I was in churches, and they would do that sort of thing, somebody would yell out, preach it. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going as hard as I know to go. But that was just a way we would encourage each other. But never has anybody called out and said, blessed on the breasts that nursed you, pastor. Like, that's a showstopper for me. I mean, that would just be odd, the feedback, you know. And look at what Jesus says to that. And so Jesus turns to the woman and he doesn't say, man, that's awesome. You love my mom so much. He says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Hmm. He's not saying his mother's unimportant because on the cross later, he's going to say to John, who's the only disciple left, there's John and the women. John, probably the youngest disciple. Peter's probably the oldest disciple. And there's John and the women. And Jesus looks at John. He says, John, there's your mom. Take care of her. Now, it wasn't his mom. It was his mom. But John, take, take care of her. So he loved his mom. But here he says, you want to know who's really important to me? Those who keep my will those who do my will, that's my family. That's who's blessed. You wanna be blessed? Do the will of your father. That's what identifies this family. So number two then, those who obey the word of God are more blessed and precious to Jesus than even his own biological mother. Wow. It's a big deal. It's a big deal because this family that God is creating is very special to him. It's a very special entity. He gave his life for it. When you can't read the New Testament very far till you start running across the some 120 different uses of the phrase, one another, one another, love one another, serve one another, be kind to one another. You can't go, you can't read like 12 verses in a row without coming across some kind of principle of the family of God being built together. Mark chapter 12. And the Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection, they didn't believe there was life after death. That's why they were Sadducee, right? You remember that? And the Sadducees, who say that there is no resurrection, asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up an offspring for his brother. We need to pause here. That's weird. Uh, it doesn't fit our context. But in a world where if you don't have children, you don't have care in your aged life, to have a child was to be blessed, to be barren, was to be cursed. These aren't necessarily God's values. It's the worldview of the people. And in that kind of context, in the Old Testament, Moses, in fact, did write the idea that if you're a brother and you don't leave a child, your brother hasn't left a child, then your duty is to give that woman a child. Um, so they take this very well-known and well-practiced idea and they're gonna use it to trip up Jesus in an attempt to bring down his influence and popularity. And so there were seven brothers. And this is not the setup for a Mormon joke here, all right? There were seven brothers. And the first took a wife and he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and he died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died. No offspring, right? No, in the resurrection, remember, they don't even believe in the resurrection. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. 
So Jesus said to them, you're wrong. He's a little blunt like that. Knowing neither the scriptures nor the power of God, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So in heaven, number three, marriage and the nuclear family do not exist. They don't exist. There's no marriage in heaven. Now, at first glance, this makes me a little sad. Like in my mind, I like to think that if I go first or Jill goes first, she's waiting for me at the gate, right? And she's like, I'm so glad you're here because Jesus was awesome, but I was missing something. And now that you're here, I feel complete. That's kind of the way I like to imagine it. That ain't the way it's going to be. It's not going to go down like that. I don't know what it's going to be like, but it does make me a little sad to think, you know, the way I know my wife now and how awesome it is and in heaven, it's, there's not going to be a marriage. So what's it going to be like? And well, if it's not like that and my kids, I mean, the Bible says I'm going to know even as I'm known, but it doesn't tell me. Then Jesus said explicitly there's no marriage, but like angels, there's like nothing. So this is like beyond comprehension. C.S. Lewis was talking about this very passage once. And he said, number four, in heaven, our joys are not diminished at all. They're heightened. And he started to tell an example of trying to explain to a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, the pleasures of marital physical connection. Like how pleasurable it is in marriage to physically unite with your spouse. And he says, imagine trying to tell a kid about this and you're, you're explaining to them you know, what marriage is and how beautiful it is and how pleasurable it is. And they say something like, is it better than candy? And here you got this 10-year-old who doesn't maybe know stuff. They don't have the internet. They don't have their, you know, nobody brought it to school and showed them anything yet. They're innocent. And um, so you got this 10-year-old this and you're trying to explain that physical connection in marriage is more awesome than candy. And as you're talking, the kid says, but can you have candy while you're connecting? And you're like, you don't even get it. If you understood how awesome this connecting was, you wouldn't be talking about candy right now. But they can't get it because they don't have context. That's what he said. It's like trying to discuss what heaven's going to be. There will be no sadness. It will be joy-filled. Everything that is incomplete will be made complete. So he writes, I'll read you the quote from his book, Miracles. We know the pleasures of earthly things like sex, married life, and the nuclear family. We do not know, except in glimpses, the other things which in heaven will leave no room for it. They will be greater than it. This is what C.S. Lewis talked about in, in this book, Miracle, when he's trying to describe, all right, so Jesus says there's no marriage, but whatever it is, is going to take up the room for that. But for our purpose, for our conversation today... It's not like Jesus wants everybody to be made complete through marriage and have a nuclear family. And if you don't, you're somehow missing out. That's not it at all. Marriage and singleness are both callings from God. Pastor John Piper, who I, I follow a lot. If you want to know who I'm listening to at any point on my uh, phone, I'm probably at some point listening to John Piper. I don't agree with everything he says. I just agree with a lot that he says. Right, let me read you a quote here. I think it'll be on the screen. Jesus was here calling out a new family where single people in Christ or people not in traditional families are full-fledged family members on par with all others, bearing fruit for God and becoming mothers and fathers of the eternal kind. Marriage is temporary and it will finally give way to the relationship to which it was pointing all along, Christ and the church, the way a picture no longer is needed when you see face to face. What God is doing in the church, the reason, why, the reason why church is so important is what he's doing here is he's giving us a picture of a permanent, eternal family. So a lot of times we'll use the phrase around here, our church family. When there's disruption in the family, it hurts like family. When people are mean to each other, it hurts like family when they're mean to you. It's supposed to. And all that stuff and our striving is meant to give us a picture of the very thing God is creating, the very thing he gave his life for. And that's why the enemy of our soul wants more than anything else to get in there and mess up your nuclear family and mess up your church family because he doesn't want any picture of this thing that God wants for you to remain. He wants you to be so discouraged in it. And sometimes my heart especially breaks for single people in the church. 
because it feels like, I think it's somewhat implied, often it's explicitly stated, that really what needs to happen is they can be full-fledged members and full-fledged a part of when they find their spouse. But that's not a biblical concept. Now, the other side of it is, is many people do want a spouse who don't have one. There's nothing wrong with that. But both are a calling from God. Both require God's empowerment. Both require a certain amount of focus to succeed at. They both require effort. They both require a certain sense of following God. And in both of them, God's full picture ultimately can be realized in a person's life. In both callings. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the appointed time implied here of Christ's return has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they have had none. For the present form of this world is passing away. Let those who have wives live as though they had none. This is not some advertisement for some pleasure island cruise where you can just act like you don't have a spouse. That's not what's going on here. What's going on here is he's saying, look, there's a, there, in light of the fact that time is winding down, that our mission is important, even if you're married, you need to put your marriage in proper perspective. And your marriage is not your most important thing. Your walk with God is your most important thing. Marriage becomes a part of your walk with God. And it's often out of that disequilibrium, out of the inappropriate prioritizing of life's values, that marriage has higher challenges than it needs to have. I mean, what does a husband and a wife call themselves to when there's dysfunction in the home? Do they call themselves to a situation where you're making me unhappy, please make me happy? I, I'm not satisfied, please satisfy me. I don't like where we are, let's get to a better situation. Or are they calling themselves to a picture that God has written in the pages of scripture? Saying, look, objectively, this is what God wants for us and this is what I keep calling us to. And she says, objectively, this is what I'm calling us to because it's what God calls us to. And it gives us a certain authority and direction so that our marriage goals and agenda fall under the priority of God in our life in the same way that a single person's objectives and direction are meant to fall under the priority of God for that person's life. So neither your marriage nor your singleness defines who you are at the highest level. And because of that, number five, your situation is not permanent whether you are single or married. It's not permanent. Now, whatever heaven's gonna be like, it's gonna be greater. I'm gonna have greater joy in heaven than I have even now. And when I think about heaven and marriage not being permanent, even if that brings me sadness, it's only because I have a hard time understanding the difference between candy and physical marital pleasure because I have no knowledge of it. But my situation isn't permanent. In 1 Corinthians chapter seven, verse seven, and then jumping to the end of the chapter, Paul writes, I wish that all were as myself. He's single. But each has his own gift from God. The, the word there is charismata, charismata. This is spiritual empowerment, spiritual gifting. If you were in the class Sunday night, class two, we talked about the spiritual gifts, the charismata, right? And each person has its own gift from God. That is a gift for singleness and a gift for marriage, right? One of one kind and one of another the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided, Paul says. So he's writing to these leaders saying, look, if you're not married and you just want to get after ministry, you may want to not, like, think about not getting married because your interests get divided. And I have a very amazing, uh, servant-hearted, giving wife. And if, if you know the two of us, she's by far the better one. Honestly, she's much more. And she allows me a certain amount of freedom that a lot of pastors never get. But that doesn't mean that I'm 100% focused here on you guys. I'm, uh, my interests are divided. I have to, as my call from God, think about what's best for my family regularly in the exercise of my duties here. What's best for my family? What's best for my family? I can't just focus and say, what's best for Four Corners? I can't. Right? That would be wrong. And part, of, part, part of, I think, the staying power of, of healthy pastoring is, is you often think about what's best for my family. And not just in ministry, but in every area of life. My interests are divided in marriage. My money got divided. I mean, before Jill, I had my own money do what I want. 
I remember my mom saying once early on when she and my dad were in a much different season of life and they were talking about what would happen if one of them would pass. And my dad was like, you should get married. My mom's like, you should get married. And my mom's like, I'm not getting married. I said, mom, why wouldn't you get married again? She's like, when he goes, I don't want anybody telling me how to spend my money. And um, she's like, she got it figured out, you know? She's like, I'm going to spend, I'm going to do what I want, right? Your interests get divided. I mean, before I was married, if I wanted to move, it would take like one, I had a little Ford Courier pickup. The Mazda made a truck for Ford. I had that, my pride and joy. I could fit all my earthly belongings and my best friend's earthly belongings into one small pickup truck. And we would go, now it takes a pickup truck just to take the pillows off of my bed. We have so many pillows on our bed. Why do we, ladies, why do you put so many pillows on the bed? I don't understand. And then I get like in trouble for hiding them in the room so they can't be put back on the bed. your, Your interests get divided in marriage. But if you're called to marriage, that's your calling. And if you're called to singleness, that's your calling. And it's to be lived as a call before God. So marriage then, interestingly enough, is not the only way to not be alone. Marriage is not the only way to not be alone. And there's where my heart as a pastor begins to be sensitive to the single folks among our church family. There is often, especially as they get older, an implicit loneliness that sets in. And I get it. And our culture and often the church implies the way to satisfy that, the only viable way to satisfy that is in a marriage relationship. And so sometimes because life has not aligned, they're not ready, maybe the other person they want to connect with isn't fully healthy, they play at marriage a little bit to somehow, you know, medicate the loneliness that is so pervasive. They find themselves in relational kinds of goofiness on occasion because what was really at stake for them was placating, satisfying, attending to this deep-seated loneliness that they flirt around the edges of maybe their own personal value systems to do it. But God never said that all we need, for instance, was him. If you think that's where I'm going, I'm not. I'm not saying that all you need to not be lonely is a relationship with God. In fact, in Genesis, God said it's not good for a man to be alone. But he didn't say only that marriage was the only way to satisfy that. And if you think about it a little more deeply, there's a lot of ways to satisfy the loneliness issue not just through marriage. I'm going to talk about the limitations of what I'm saying in just a moment. Look at Mark chapter 10. Jesus talking there, I say unto you, truly I say unto you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time and he continues and in the life to come. He says, even in this life, if you've left stuff for the gospel, you're going to be better off. You're going to receive a hundred times for that. And the single people in my life, and when I was single, I just said, I don't buy it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it's possible. I, I don't believe that I can have a fulfilling life unless I'm fulfilling it with a wife. That's what I would have said. But that's not what Jesus says here. So there's something about the way we conceptualize life and fulfillment that has to be rethought in light of Jesus' words here. Can I just be 100% honest with you? I know a whole lot more unhappy married people than I do single people. I know a whole lot more people who are unhappy married than I know unhappy single people. But happy without marriage requires a level of commitment to something higher that few people very rarely get to. And the truth is, is that Christianity, whether you're married or single, never really works for the half committed, who people who treat their relationship with God like garnish on the plate. It's pretty. It used to maybe serve our purpose, but right now it's decoration. Christianity doesn't work that way. But there's a level of commitment and understanding and eye-opening reality that can come to a person that begins to put things like marriage and family and singleness into perspective. I could say some of the same things, and this breaks my heart for those of you in the room who are struggling here, but when it comes to fertility, that somehow I won't be complete if I don't have a kid. 
according to the scriptures, you may be called to have a kid. And if you are, press in. But that may not be God's calling. And if it's not, you're not incomplete. You're not. You can still be very fulfilled. God can come and satisfy that brokenness in the same way he can satisfy the other brokennesses of your life. I heard about a guy who was single and all the little ladies would come to him at the end of every wedding and they would say to him, don't worry, you're next. You're the next one up. It's gonna be you. And he said it would just get frustrating. It happened every time. Somebody would come up and say, you're next. I know, just hold on. You know, keep praying. And he said, and I just had to endure this for years. And he said, I finally started getting back to them at funerals when I'd go to the little ladies and I would say, don't worry, you're next. Just keep praying. It'll be okay. There's a, there's a higher calling on all of us. And whether you're married or single, pressing into that calling becomes a part of the success strategy, the fulfillment strategy to understand what does God want from you in this point of your life. Number seven, against the right person myth. Everyone always marries the wrong person. Because they're a sinner and you're a sinner. There is no right person for you. I'm not implying that everybody's equally valid for you. Some are more right than others. But you can't marry the right person to such a degree that you're free of conflict and problems. It's not possible. Truth is, is we're not simply lonely people who need soulmates. We're sinners who need a savior. And when that's first in our lives, then our singleness and our marriedness takes on a different type of tone. Our parenting takes on a different tone. Our childbearing or not childbearing takes on a different tone. Gary Thomas, who wrote what I think is the finest marriage book out there, it's called Sacred Marriage. It's not fluff. It will take you a little bit of work to get through. I think it's the greatest book. You might want to write that down. Sacred Marriage, Gary Thomas. Like if you're struggling, this is your book. If you're single, read this book because he talks about what God's real heart in marriage is. This is the book that literally saved my marriage. Here's what he writes. Marriage doesn't solve emptiness. It exposes it. If someone can't live without you, he or she will never be happy living with you either. They just don't know that yet. Marriage does not create problems, it reveals them. That's what's going on. So number eight then, God's main purpose in life is preparing you for himself and for his kingdom. And I take you to this verse often. It's the verse I try more than any others to live my life by. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6, 33. That's his main purpose. So if I, if I focus on preparing myself, if you focus on preparing yourself for the kingdom of God and trust God to supply whatever you need, it changes the way you approach the challenges. I'm able to live with a certain amount of disunity in my life when I'm unified with him. Everybody wants most people to like them. Most of us aren't cavalier about whether or not we want people to like us. Some of us are almost driven by an insatiable need to be liked. You know how you deal with that? You get this right. And it doesn't mean that you don't want people to not like you, but it begins to take on a different form and a different expression in your life. In my parenting, it's not that my kids are just problematic on occasion, embarrass me on occasion, cause chaos, cost us money on occasion. That's not it. I have an alignment that my calling as a dad is different than just managing their dysfunction. I'm to develop them. I'm not just parenting. That phrase is, is, is undefinable to me. It's, it's ambiguous. It's, so what my job then is, biblically, is I'm to train them up. And I can understand that. I'm not so much a parent as I am a trainer-upper. I mean, parent implies all kinds of things. Depending on the season of human history you're in, it can imply all kinds of things. But biblically, we're a trainer-upper. 
I can get behind that. But I get that unity then. I get that confidence, not because of what's going on around me, but because of an alignment here. It's still hard, but I get that alignment down inside. I'm not just a guy in a marriage. I'm a called man in a marriage that God wants to use to do profound spiritual things in my life, in my wife's life. We have kids in our kid's life and in every life we touch. It's very different than just living calmly and at peace, disconnected and distracted. I'm preparing for something. Number nine, then, all Christians are preparing for marriage. Just for some of us, it won't be a marriage on this earth. There is this, the Bible calls it the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's the picture we're given. I don't know what it really looks like. That's the metaphor that's used to describe for us this moment when all of God's family is going to sit around the table. It's going to be beautiful. They're going to serve your favorite food. I suspect it will be Chick-fil-A. I do. I think everybody's going to get a Chick-fil-A box on the end of the pearly gates and you're going to go off and do your thing. But we're all going to be sitting at the same table and the family's going to be there and it's going to be like that one Holiday memory you have when there wasn't a fight. Do you have one of those? At least one? God, I hope you have at least one. I I pray you have at least one of those. That's the image. And this earthly family will never fully live up to it. It will hint at it. It's beautiful when we get glimpses of it. But God's actually using this marriage that you're in right now to prepare you for that marriage. That big wedding banquet. When bride and bridegroom, the church and Christ are brought together finally. And Paul described that time that now we look through a dark lens and we can see things, but we can't make it all out. But on that day, we will see face to face. And all the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. And we'll see, we'll be, we will know even as we're known and we're going to know fully and righteously. And all the sin and all of its impact is just going to be wiped away. That's the marriage God's getting you ready for, whether you are single or married. And in your marriage, he's going to use your spouse to help you get ready for it. And at times, you're going to despise your spouse for that. And that's because you don't see clearly. He's going to use leadership structures in your life. He'll use your boss. He'll use people you lead. He'll, lead your ki- he'll, lead, he'll use your kids because he's getting you ready for that marriage. And you won't ever be fully ready. So there's gonna be a moment. It's gonna happen in the twinkling of of an eye, the Bible says, where you are gonna be changed. And whatever final imperfections are left in you, they're gonna be eradicated. It's gonna be a glorious day. You know why? It won't be because I'll be perfected. That's not, it'll be because you're perfected and I won't have to put up with you anymore. That's the other beautiful thing. Not only do I get perfected and you get an awesome Ben, I get awesome you. And we get awesome each other. And family as it was meant to be. Remember, God started his work in this earth talking to one man, Abraham, and he said, I'm going to build a family out of you and I'm going to bless the whole world through it. The whole world's going to be blessed because of you. And then Jesus and Paul pick up on that theme and they say, hey, those of you in Christ, you know who you are? You are children of Abraham. You're heirs to the promise. You get that family. And we're all imperfect. And we're all broken here. Married and single. But in God's family, single people and divorced people and people without the right pedigree, people born on the wrong side of the tracks, whatever it is, all of that, the ground becomes level at the cross. It's a beautiful picture. Number 10, most people obsess about finding the right person rather than becoming the right person. Finding the right person rather than becoming the right person. Andy Stanley writes about this when he talks about the idea of promises versus preparation. Promises versus preparation. He says at a wedding, we make promises to one another. And we mean it to the core of our being. I promise to love, honor, serve, cherish, obey in sickness. And we're like, whoa, wait, wait, wait. 
Like I was tracking with you till you got to the downside. Sickness and in health. All right, health. But we, pro- we, we mean it. All right, good, good. Uh, in all things, I will be. And we promise and we mean it to the core of our being. But promises without preparation are shallow. You ever told your kids, hey, you got to get this thing done? Those of your parents, aunts, uncles, got to get this thing done. And they go, I promise I will. And you know they mean it. And you're a sucker and you believe them. And they don't do the thing. It wasn't that they're lying through and through. It's they made a promise, but they didn't get prepared to fulfill it. And in singleness and marriage, God has made for us a promise. I will come back. I will get you. You are mine. I will not leave you alone. He's made a promise. He's gonna we make a promise. God, I'm with you. In marriage, and if you're single even, you have an opportunity not to just look for the right person. You have an opportunity to begin becoming the right kind of person that is God-oriented first. And when that's done, you can live with whatever calling he has on your life. We don't just make promises then. We start getting ready for it. So what should we do? I can blow through these very quickly. This is not scripture directly. This is Pastor Ben, all right? I think that if you're single... And, and like you're looking. I think number one, something you can do is you can begin to break bad habits and start good ones. This is how you don't just stand before somebody one day and make a promise, but you start getting ready to keep your promises. The bad habits, for instance, would be go ahead and get out of debt. If you're single and you don't manage money, the most important use of your time would be to get in our uh, you know, debt-free living class that we do, the financial freedom stuff with Dave Ramsey. Go ahead and get a hold of money because number one thing you'll fight about in your marriage if the statistics are true and they are is money. So just go ahead and deal with it now. Get ready. If you don't have a job, get a job. If you're struggling with porn, I used to address this to men, but I'm just gonna make it blanket. If you're struggling with porn, now's the time to break that now because it's gonna show up then and you're gonna stand there and you're gonna make a promise, but you can do more than that. You can start getting ready for it. You can... Give to the good stuff, like serving and giving and quiet time, going on a mission trip. These are things that'll be harder when you're married. Number two, you can get into real community, which is gonna require a certain amount of vulnerability and honesty. And rather than waiting for community to come to you, you can t- start creating it. Rather than waiting for your spouse and then you'll have community, you can start creating it. And yeah, you'll have to get past the awkwardness on occasion. You may be the only single person in the room. But to Jesus, you're not incomplete. Even if other people make you feel that way, even if they don't mean to, you just feel it that way yourself. So you can do that through your church. You can do that in your family. Earlier in our church's history, more than now, we were full of single people. And they carried the lion's share of the work. We did that because about one third of our congregants were in high school or just out of high school. And they carried so much and they gave themselves and they became an instrumental part of what we did. Number three, you can establish your career and your ministry. Go ahead and get started. I like Proverbs 24, 27. Put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready. After that, then build your house. The principle here is go ahead and start getting ready. Quit waiting on the career, quit waiting on the spouse. Get your life rolling. Number four. I think you can decide in advance what kind of person you're going to wait for. What kind of person. More than just how they look, although you can include looks, certainly. Um, More than just how your friends will react to them. I know guys who've been uh, hesitant to connect with people, not for fear of what they thought, but for what they thought their friends would think about the person they were connecting with, which is just very shallow. You're not ready for marriage. But decide in advance what kind of person you're going to wait for. And then don't compromise that. All right? Number five, don't date non-Christians unless your faith is not that important to you and your future children's faith is not that important to you. If those things are not important to you, go ahead and date non-Christians. I'd rather have a backslidden Christian who knows there's a God and deep down believes he's gonna stand before God in judgment. I'd rather have that kind of person marry my daughter than just a nice person who doesn't believe in Jesus. And you can disagree with me on all that. I want somebody where faith has the potential to explode and grow. Give me, a, give me a bad Christian who deep down knows that there's a heaven to be gained and a hell to be shunned. And we can work with that. 
But unbelief is hard to work with. Let me give you the final one. Go ahead and cultivate gospel character. At weddings, I often read 1 Corinthians 13. This is the place to start. Love is patient. Are you patient? Love is kind. Are you kind? When are you not kind? Where do you need to grow in kindness? And it goes through six or seven major traits. You can work on that now, even if you can't guarantee a relationship. By the way, men who are married, this is a great place for you. If you wonder where you need to grow spiritually, go to 1 Corinthians 13, list out love is, and then then ask yourself, am I, am I, am I, am I? Give yourself a grade, A, B, C, D, E, F. There's no E, A, B, C, D, F. Why is there not an E? Uh, A, B, C, D, F, right? And then, very honestly, put that piece of paper in front of your spouse and go, I won't fight back. I won't argue. Would you rate me? Am I loving, kind? Ask your best friends. Do you find me to be a loving, patient, kind person or not? These are character traits you can build. So in our church, we're doubling down. We're here to help families in North Cincinnati become fully developing followers of Jesus. And in our church, whether you're single or married, you're part of our family. And we don't see you as incomplete. And if you want to get married, we'll pray with you for a spouse. And if you're not ready for it, that's okay. But we pray for you. We pray for every single person in this room. God, make men to be men of God. Make women to be women of God. Let you be the first thing. And when you're the first thing, we're going to trust Matthew 6, 33, that when you're first and we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, you'll add all the other stuff we need. God, help us to walk our calling. Help my brother, help my sister to walk his calling, her calling, whatever it is. And that's what we'll hold each other to. So would you grab out your Connect card? Let's go ahead and take a couple steps in this direction. I've been talking about the power of walking with Jesus and the marriage that God is getting us ready for, but it's possible you don't have a relationship with Jesus and that day I was describing is not your destiny yet and you can change that in a moment. You can literally say in agreement with the scripture, I'm a sinner, I cannot save myself. (laughs) So I'm gonna trust the work that Jesus did on his cross and in his resurrection. Jesus, forgive me, wash away my sins. I don't have anything to bring you. So I'm gonna trust the work you did I have faith in that alone. And because of that, I want a relationship with my heavenly father. We'd ask you to take the pen and check next step A, put the card in the offering bucket in just a moment when it comes by. Or maybe your step today is to get baptized. Wow. We have some folks that are getting ready to get baptized. They're gonna go under, we're gonna celebrate. And each life is a story of God's redemption and power, getting them ready and They're joining our church family in a very practical way, not formally, but in a practical way. They're a part of us. And they want you to celebrate that with them. And so if that's you, go ahead and check the box. And like, if you've been stirred in putting it off, you know, like this is the time. Next step C is one of those opportunities we're telling about, hey, go ahead and send me the information for the men's bonfire on October 28th. We'll just send you that info and you can confirm, do what you need to do and be there. Ladies, if you'd like to have that information so you can encourage your spouse to go, your boyfriend to go, whatever, go ahead and check the box. We'll send it to you. Just don't show up because we're not going to sit around the table and ask six questions for two hours. (laughs) We're not doing that. All right? We're going to do some other stuff. Play with fire and eat. All right? It's going to be good. All right? How about next step D? Send me the information about the if tables for women. Men, go ahead and if you, if you want to help your wife, make sure this is the date you check it. We'll help you help your wife get there. Both of these events qualify for our child care reimbursement policy. You can get that information out at the table. We want to help you connect with people. And the next step E says, hey, would you send me information about the married people date night? The married people date night. We're, we are committed to helping you thrive. All right? We provide opportunities. You have to take advantage of it. Let's... Right now, take our Connect card and our next steps and hold it. And if you call this church home, now would be the time to begin to get together your offerings and your tithe. While you're doing that, um, I just wanted to say to every volunteer in the room, every person who prays for this church, every person who gives, today, here's how I think about today. Today, I'm gonna get a paycheck. It's Pastor Appreciation Sunday. There's not a better day for me to get the paycheck I love getting. You know what it is? It isn't money. It's what's gonna happen right here three people, two people, and then five people, I think it is, so seven total, are going to get baptized this morning. That's your paycheck. If you're a volunteer, if you give, if you pray for this place, if you serve, 
You wanna know if we're making a difference? Here it is. You ever wondered if it's worth it? Here it is. You don't necessarily know all the stories, but you can be confident the boldness it takes for somebody to get up in front of a room like this and say, I'm with Jesus. I want you to know it. I want you to celebrate this change that's happened in my life. That's huge. And that's proof that the work you're doing is making a real and tangible difference. It is not wasted. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. In the last couple months, we've baptized more people than all of last year. God's doing something pretty powerful around here. We have more people serving on a volunteer team than ever in the history of this church. It's a pretty big deal. You're making a difference and your giving is one of the most practical ways you do that. I wanna thank you. And since you did surprise me with that little acknowledgement of Pastor Appreciation Sunday, I just wanted to say to you, what a joy it is to be your pastor. I love you from the bottom of my heart, all right? Let's pray about our next steps in this offering and then let's celebrate some baptism. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you. Thank you that you are getting us ready for a marriage, a grand marriage of the big family that you're gathering together to celebrate, to enjoy forever your goodness, your greatness. You'll make our joys complete. You'll right every wrong. No more lies, no more tears, no more heartache. Everything's set right. And whatever picture we have, Father, it's gonna be so much more than that. Thank you for being that kind of a good, good father to us. God, I wanna take a moment and just pray for the single people that are represented in this congregation. There are sons, there are daughters, there are family members, there are teammates. God, I pray that you would encourage their hearts. I pray, Father, they would feel the love of this community. I pray, Lord, that they would feel deep satisfaction that their work, their contribution is valued here and they can make a difference. We're so grateful for that. Father, I pray with those that are declaring today, Jesus, wash away my sins. Cover me by your shed blood. I have nothing to bring you, so I accept the work that you have done on Calvary and in your resurrection. I trust that alone to secure my relationship to you. Father, will you take the gifts that we're about to give right now and would you help them to change lives? And while we very practically do things like pay electric bills and cover the expenses of this building, God, would you make all of that be such that people's lives are changed so that it isn't just pragmatism there's a spiritual calling and a spiritual impact as a result of our giving. We want it to make an eternal difference, Lord. Thank you for the lives represented at this baptism today. Thank you for what you're doing around here. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen.